We're in the book of 2 Corinthians, the 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 makes this statement regarding the future of people in Christ. Paul says, we know that if the tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Paul, the tent maker, says, we're presently a tent. He says, the future, we're going to have a building. We'll be a building. Glorious. Resurrection bodies. But the present context, we're tents. Canvas tents. Mildewed. Broken down. Holes eaten by field mice. And he says, and uses another illustration in chapter 4, verse 7, where he says that we have this treasure, the treasure of the preaching of Christ in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Really, that's not a very good jar. Really, it should be the jar in in the day of the people at Corinth was kind of a a clay jar that was used for ignoble purposes. You didn't ever serve people out of it or drink out of it, believe me. And Paul says, "We're, we're broken down clay pots. But he says he's entrusted us with the glorious message to show that the all-surpassing power is not from ourselves, but it is from God. He says there is a glue that holds this pot together. It's called the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of the gospel, the power of Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's to show that the all-surpassing power is not from us, but it is from the Lord. And then he, he makes this incredible statement. It's, it's, a, it's a ramp up to verses 10 and 11. But he uses four participial phrases set in opposition to one another. And he says this, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but never despairing. We are persecuted, not abandoned. Struck down, not destroyed. Powerful. He says, we're, we're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. I mean, to be hard-pressed means to be depressed into a small space, to be stressed, to be confined. But he says, we're never crushed. See, Paul is a terrible poster child for a healthy, wealthy, wrinkle-free, problem-free Christian life. There's a teaching espoused by some people today called the health and the wealth gospel that says basically if you really love the Lord you'll be healthy and wealthy. It's from the pit of hell. It smells like smoke. It stinks. It's horrible. There's no gospel in it. And Paul says here, I'm hard-pressed at times. I'm perplexed. I'm at times struck down. I'm at times persecuted. And he gives, that's why I love 2 Corinthians. He gives this biographical statement in chapter 11. He says this, verse 24, five times I received at the hand of the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Now in the day of Scripture, when they wanted to really punish you, they would beat you 39 times. They would bring you right to the brink of death and hold back. You'd have a, a, a horribly scarred back. He says, this happened to me five different times. Three times, he says, I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned and left for dead. 
Three times I was shipwrecked, a, a night and a day, and I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, from my own people, from Gentiles in the city, in the wilderness at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from the other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. It's tough. Paul is hard-pressed, but he says, never crushed. Never crushed. Hard-pressed. Then he says this, perplexed, but never despairing. To perplexed, be perplexed means to be despondent. To despair means you say there's no hope, you throw in the towel. Perplexed, despondent. Are you believers? Are you perplexed? You should be. You live in a fallen world. You live in a world of cancer and heart disease, relational breakup and typhoons and tsunamis. You live in a fallen, broken world. Do you ever say with the psalmist, why? I, I do. In Psalm 73, the psalmist says, why God? I, I look at the ungodly. It's an overstatement, but I look at the ungodly and they, they have no cares. They're sleek and fat. And when the psalmist says fat, it's a compliment. They're without concerns, and yet they don't honor you. What's going on, God? We live in a fallen world where there should be a sense of we're perplexed. But, but we never despair. See, Paul was writing in a cultural milieu where one of the primary teachings that was floating around was something called Stoicism. It was hatched about the third century before Christ. And the Stoics said that, 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 that the chief end of man is to control his emotions and to live a virtuous life and to show human decency and bravery. And there's no understanding of, of, the, of the God who is or life after death. You just live a life of virtue as you control your emotions. I, I believe that there are many, many people in our culture who are Stoics and they don't even know it. They're despairing because there's no hope beyond death. They just don't know, so they despair, but they, they quote, keep a stiff upper lip. They, they quote the poem Invictus that goes, out of the night that covers me, black as a pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever God may be for my unconquerable soul. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishment the scrolls, because I'm the captain of my fate, I'm the master of my soul. That whole poem is a mockery of the gospel. He says it matters not how, how straight the gate. Christ said the gate is narrow and the road is small that leads to life. And only a few find it. They say that makes no difference. It makes no difference how charged with punishment the scrolls. The Bible says that the scrolls will be unrolled and we'll give an account for our life. They say that makes no difference. That makes no sense. Because I'm the captain of my fate. I'm the master of my soul. I'm in control. Every time I read or hear about a film that's, quote, a triumph of the human spirit, I go, uh-oh, 
Stoicism, human will survives the elements. The Stoics would say life is tough and then you die. In the 6th century, there was a thought system that was birthed called Buddhism. There was a young man from Nepal named Siddhartha Gautama. A wealthy prince lived on a palatial estate. His father never let him outside the gates. One day he slipped out of the gates. And for the first time in his very young life, he saw suffering. He saw a poor man, a sick man, a dying man, and a dead man. And so Siddhartha Gautama, who became known as the Buddha, started pondering life. And years later, under a bow tree, he had a moment of enlightenment. And Buddhism is very simple to understand on a basic level. There are four noble truths. Number one, life is suffering. Number two, the reason there is suffering is because we have desires. Number three, to get rid of suffering, you get rid of desires. And number four, to get rid of desires, you follow the eightfold noble path. Right thinking, right meditation, right living, so forth and so on. Buddhism and Stoicism are first cousins. Both of them say that, that to believe in any hope beyond life is a fatuous dream. It's the death of hope. See, we should be perplexed, but we never despair. There's a man named Dylan Thomas that some of us have studied and read. He died in the 1950s at the age of 39. He was a Welsh poet. His life was a train wreck. He died of alcohol poisoning, we think, in New York City, making a tour of American universities. Dylan Thomas was enormously gifted, and I will always appreciate him for no other reason except he wrote a poem that starts like this. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at the close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. And I got to tell you, I love that. So when, when you tell me somebody who is shaking their fist at death and they're raging, I'll say, I'm with you because Jesus wept over the death of Lazarus. When you rage against something, you're saying there's something more than what we have here. When you show me somebody that says, that's not fair in the international tribunal courts at The Hague, I applaud them because when they say that's not fair, they're saying there is a law written on everyone's heart that says this is right and this is wrong. When somebody stands up and says it is inhumane to be involved in human slavery and sex trafficking, I applaud them because what they're saying is there is a standard of humanity that is universal and known, and I applaud that. Rage. When somebody is raging, I think they're close to the gospel. I much prefer that to the monumental song of 20 years ago, Don't Worry, Be Happy, which is Stoicism. See, the Stoics, Buddhists say that hope is a killer because hope does not exist. And we say death to Stoicism. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul says this regarding hope. He says, verse 42, the whole chapter, this, this book written a year and two months before 2 Corinthians, we think. He says, so, so, so it is with the resurrection of the dead, those who die in Christ. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonor, a broken down, atrophying body, is raised in glory. 
It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And he says, therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the Lord, because in the Lord your labor is never in vain. The whole chapter is about hope. Hope. And that's why 1 Thessalonians 4 says that we grieve in a fallen world. We weep for those who die, but not like those who have no hope. Not like the Stoics who said life is over and that's it. It's just a void. We believe there's an eternity called heaven. And those who trust Christ go there. And so, yes, we're perplexed. But we are never in despair. And he says this. I'll make the last two together. We're persecuted but not abandoned. We're struck down but we're never destroyed. Persecuted. But never abandoned. And one of the great chapters of the Bible, Romans 8, Paul says in verse 37, we're more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I'm convinced neither height nor depth nor angels nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor, nor anything, he says, will ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. But the, the verse before that cry of victory is this, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life. Nor... For your sake, we're being killed all day long. I, this summer, I've told you, I had the chance to go to northern Africa and speak for a week to 25 pastors an interpreter. I know no Arabic. They knew no English, most of them. But I spent a week with them, eating with them, laughing, talking, walking around. Dear men. And when we were saying goodbye to them, it was very moving to us because we realized that some of those going back to Egypt, we had, that was before this recent revolution where, listen, the Egyptian Brotherhood are murdering Christians and burning churches in Egypt right now. Right, right now. And these brothers went back to that. And these men going to Algeria where, where, where to stand up for Christ and to preach the gospel or in Morocco could end you up, end you in prison or death. And, I, I just, I look, and as I looked at these guys, I thought, thanks be to God, they may be persecuted, but they're never abandoned. See? They may be struck down, but they're never destroyed. Because God is God. It's a victory cry from the mat. And that's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, I mean, it's just, he says, or chapter 12, verse 10, he says, For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Did you get that? When I'm weak, I'm strong. When I've come to the end of my rope, then Jesus shines through me. So this is, these, this is just a ramp up to, to, to this question. Paul, Paul, how in the world can you say you are 
hard-pressed but not crushed? How, how can you say you're perplexed but not despairing? How in the world can you say that you're, you're, you're persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed? How? 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 And he gives us the answer. Verses 11 and 12. This is what the apostle says. For, for we, verse 10, we always carry in, in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. You say, what does that mean? Here's what it means. If you were raised in a Christian context, probably the first song you were ever taught to sing is, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. And everything else we learn after that is really somewhat of a footnote. We say, I, I am weak, but he is strong. When I carry about in my body the death of Jesus and I glory in the cross of Christ, I glory in the forgiveness of sins, I glory in what he's done for me, I glory in, in, in all that he is, then, then Jesus becomes strong in me. When I, when I come to the end of myself, Jesus is strong in me. And then years later we learn a hymn that goes something like this, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss, and I pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the cross of Christ my Lord. Quoting Galatians 6, 14, where Paul says to a troubling group of people, may it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world is crucified to me and I to the world. Do you see it? I'm weak, but he's strong. Do you see it? You see, Paul could say this because he carried about in his body the strong reality of Christ so that Christ will be manifest in his flesh. Let me read some quotes. All these quotes are in the bulletin. Martin Luther said this. It is impossible for the heart to be calm and bear tribulations unless it clings to better goods. That is, it must be united to God in Christ through faith. And I think of his monumental hymn where he says, let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth, God's truth will triumph. His kingdom is forever. Let goods and kindred go. And then Luther, who wrote a lot about suffering, said this, this is kind of a tongue tweezer, but listen. P people become nothing through suffering or hard times or trials. So they can be filled with God and His grace. It is God's nature to make something out of nothing. Hence, one who is not yet nothing, out of him God cannot make anything. Therefore, God accepts only the forsaken, 
cures only the sick, gives sight only to the blind, restores life only to the dead, sanctifies or makes holy only the sinners, gives wisdom only to the unwise. In short, he has mercy only upon those who are wretched. You're never going to find Jesus as the way until you say, I am lost. You're never going to taste Christ as the bread of life until you say, I am hungry. You will, you will never know him as the truth unless you say, I'm in error. That's what Luther's saying. There's a quote from this wonderful book on pain and suffering by Keller. He says, with an even more countercultural impulse, James Davies in his book claims that people who have been through depression can become wiser and more realistic about life than those who have not. I think he's talking about the depression that we go through periodically where we just say, I've come to the end of myself. I, I, I can't do this. He says, people who have never been depressed tend to overestimate the amount of control they have over their lives. While severely depressed people are debilitated, in general, an experience of depression can give you a more accurate appraisal of your own limitations and how much influence you can have over your own circumstances. You come to the end of yourself. I don't want to be discouraging. We just dedicated two beautiful little baby boys up here. As a parent, though, you realize with every passing birthday, you're more and more out of control. You have no control. At age one, you got them. Sit here, eat this, don't do that. But the older they get, the more you just say on every birthday, you know, I, I don't have control here. Life is humbling. If you fly... I'm, I don't drink alcohol, but I'm always tempted to do so when I fly. If I work for Delta, I get free shots in the waiting area every, every flight. Because, you know, it is, flying is, there's a few moments of stark terror every time I fly. I was in first class with unlimited alcohol sometimes. I mean, you get on these, when some of these especially these big, these big old things that can carry the state of New Jersey, and they take off like a pregnant cow. And then they always hit a couple of dips as you get up. You go, oh, 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 oh gosh. You think, can this really get off the ground? I'm not a science guy, but I, how in the world? Then you hit a cruising altitude of 30,000 feet, and they say, relax, enjoy your flight. <laughs> okay, okay, you bet. Yeah, really. So every time I fly, there's a moment when I say, I am not in control. The other times I say I'm in control, and I'm not. Probably not. Solzhenitsyn, one of my favorite guys, artillery officer for the, for the Soviets in World War II, highly decorated artillery officer, fought with incredible courage, wrote one letter where in one line he criticized Joseph Stalin. They read it, put him in prison for 10 years. 10 years in the gulag. While he was in prison, he came to understand the things of the Lord. And, and so he, he wrote this, this incredible statement this in the bulletin about understanding his, his arrogance and his evil. And he says, at the end of the day, he says, I nourish my soul in prison. And I say without hesitation, bless you prison for having been in my life. Because 
He came to the end of himself. See, you carry about in your body the reality of Jesus. C.S. Lewis, wonderful book called The Problem of Pain, says this, Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. No doubt pain is God's megaphone is a terrible instrument. It may lead to final and unrepentant rebellion, but it gives the only opportunity the bad man can have for amendment. I love this line. It removes the veil. It plants the flag of truth within the fortress of a rebel soul. You come to the end of yourself. And later in the same book he says this, Everyone has noticed how hard it is to turn our thoughts to God when everything is going well with us. When we, quote, have all we want, close quote, it is a terrible saying when, quote, all does not include God. At that point, we find God in interruption. See, when when life is just going fine, you're not lost. You're not blind. You're not needy. You're not hungry. But when you experience pain when you experience sorrow, when you experience personal failure, when you experience disruption in relationships, when you experience that you just aren't in control, that's the time when you carry about and you glory in the goodness of Christ. And then he says this. This is an amazing statement to me. He says, so so death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. We're dying so that you can live. Physically, maybe. Spiritually, absolutely. He says this in Colossians chapter 1. Paul makes this statement. It's just incredible. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church. He said, well, Wait, 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 wait. I thought the cross was totally sufficient. It is. What I think Paul's saying is there are afflictions that, that, that the, the, this generation goes through so that this generation can hear the gospel. There are afflictions that parents will go through and where they, where they trust Christ and they walk with courage and dignity in the midst of pain and heartache so their children can see the glory of Christ. And so what Paul says here is one reason we're, we're hard-pressed but not crushed is that we realize that as, as we die daily, That's what he says in 1 Corinthians 15. I die daily. As we die daily, the life of Jesus is breathed out of us into other people. We die. We have the opportunity every day to die a thousand different ways to ourselves. You're married and you're told to cherish your wife and you just don't have the warm, fuzzy feeling for her but you do because you want to honor Christ. And as you do that and as you love and you pray and you care, the life of Jesus is breathed out of you into other people. Or your wife, and the Bible says respect your husband, say, well, sometimes he doesn't deserve it, but I'm going to respect him and pray for him because I want to do this unto the Lord. And as you die to yourself, the life of Jesus is breathed out of you into other people. You see that? You're a teenager and you take out the garbage when you're not even supposed to. That's a small death. It's a death. We have 
430 kids on this campus every Sunday. We need 130 people minimum to take care of them. And every time somebody goes down there and puts on an apron and lets a, a, a baby get sick on them, it's a death. It teaches second grade class. It's a death. It's, it's a glorious death, but it's death to self. And you, throughout Scripture, Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his father, mother, his wife, and his children, and his brothers and sisters, and even his own life, he can't be my disciple. In Luke 9, he says, if anyone comes after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. He says, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. He says, whoever loves his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find incredible life. None of those statements will be at the corner drugstore in the Hallmark card section. Because they're kingdom values. I just, I just ask you, are you dying to yourself? In, in little things, little ways. I mean, when you give your tithe and offerings. Do you ever at the end of the year get your statement in the church and you see how much you've gave and you go, wow. Just for five seconds you say, wow, I could have done a lot with that money. And you say, no, it's more blessed to give than to receive. God honors those who give. For, forgive me, Lord, but boy, yeah, forgive me. To, to forgive someone that doesn't deserve it. To love the unlovely. See, it's these little deaths where we die daily and the life of Jesus flows out of us into other people. That's incredible to me. So, so we say with joy and acclamation, our life is never in vain. We are hard-pressed, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we never throw in the towel. We never despair. We, we're, we're persecuted, you know, but we're not abandoned because God is God and He's our Father. We're struck down, but we are not destroyed because that which God began in the name of Jesus by the power of the Spirit, He will bring to completion. That's why I call this sermon the triumph from the mat, not down. So, the year is 1936. There's a boxer named Joe Lewis. He's called the Brown Bomber, African-American guy. Joe Lewis is an athlete. Heavyweight champion. He's fought 28 times. Now listen, 28 times and had never been knocked to the mat, ever. Now you just think about that. Never. If, I'm not a boxing aficionado, but that's unbelievable. Never knocked to the mat. Set up a fight with a guy from Germany, Max Schnelling. Big German. The Nazi propaganda machine goes in a full orb blast. Talks about Aryan supremacy. Hitler received Austria in the Sudanland. There's some rumblings of war, dissatisfaction. Hitler's being seen for what he is. But they send Max Schneeling over here and, and they, he fights Joe Lewis in Yankee Stadium in front of 70,000 people. Months before the, the bout, Joe Lewis is the hands-down favorite. He's the brown bomber. He's going to destroy Max Schnelling. Max Schnelling trains like a maniac. Joe Lewis goes to a camp to train, the true story. And next to the camp, there's a golf course. Joe Lewis discovered golf. He became a lifelong golfer, fell in love with golf. And instead of training, he would play golf. Now, I'm not opposed to golf. If you have infinite patience, go for it. But, but you don't train for a heavyweight bout practicing your putt. 
There's just not a connection there. Lewis thought, no big deal. And so he goes to the fight, 15-round bout, and then in the 12th round, something unthinkable happens. Max Schnelling decks Joe Lewis. Technical knockout. Never happened before. Joe Lewis is the pride of black America. Somebody said that they walked through Harlem that night and grown men were standing in the street weeping. Then the Nazi machine went into real high gear. Joseph Goebbels said, a black man will never beat an Aryan. Never. Seven months later, a year later, Joe Lewis beat a guy named Braddock, Cinderella man. And then two years later, he fought Max Stelling again. But this time he trained. This time he trained. Max Schnelling was not a Nazi sympathizer. In fact, he hid Jews. His manager was a Jewish man, and the Nazi said, you got to get rid of your Jewish manager. Max Schnelling said, no, I'm not. You can't make me. He said, okay. So Max Schnelling came to America, but Joe Lewis had trained, and so they had about again two years after this fight in Yankee Stadium, once again, 70,000 people. The fight lasted two minutes and five seconds. <laughs> two minutes and five seconds. You drove... 300 miles to see a two-minute fight. I'd be very discouraged about that. In that first round, Joe Lewis threw 41 punches and he landed 31. He broke the vertebrae of Max Schnelling. That's what happened. Down. Knockout. Couldn't get up. I studied that recently. I just read about that. And I thought, you know, but whether you're on the mat or standing up, you cry victory. With your heart pressed, you're not crushed. You, you may be perplexed. I'm perplexed, but I never despair. You, you, you may be persecuted, but you're not abandoned. You may be struck down, you're not destroyed. Because in the final analysis, the man or woman of God always gets up off the mat because we carry in our body the death and the glory and the power and the resurrection of Jesus. That's who we are. And that's why the Apostle Paul could rejoice from the mat. And so can we. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we are... Um, your people, and we prayed that today we would understand the glory of carrying in our being Christ and Him crucified and resurrected. I pray, Lord, for those among us who really are Stoics, that they, haven't, they never really trusted you, and they, they just want to live a life of virtue, a, a life of bravery, a life of courage, which is commendable, but there's no hope. There's no hope. And as the tent of their body and our body wears out and wears down and breaks down, there's no hope. I thank you more than I can ever thank you that while we are perplexed, we don't despair. Because death is not the final word, Lord. And we just thank you for that. Incredible hope. I pray that daily we would just die. There'd be little choices in our life every day where out of reverence for Christ, we would die. And that our, our, really our, 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 our cry going to the battle every day would be whoever finds his life will lose it. 
But whoever loses his life for the sake of Jesus will find it. I pray we would cry out, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only by itself. So as we die and as we live and as we pray and as we fight against the status quo, may the life of Jesus be magnified in us and flow out of us into other people. Use us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much.